Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Bill Todi, who is a U.S. Navy retired captain. And so employment instability after the military is one of the biggest stress-inducing factors in a veteran's life. And so that can contribute to some serious concerns like PTSD, just general failure, and high turnover rates among veterans cost companies a lot of money. Today, we are going to discuss Bill's journey and the great lie and other lapses in the military transition assistance programs for each of our branches that he learned from his own military transition and then through other fellow veterans' failures. So he has a book from CO to CEO, A Practical Guide for Transitioning from Military to Industry Leadership. That can be a really difficult transition, especially if your MOS maybe isn't translating into a particular civilian career. And so Bill avoids all of those cliches that you might hear through the military transition and instead provides some really practical advice, nuts and bolts, and tips for veterans and the companies that want to help military veterans succeed. So Bill, I I appreciate you kind of laying it all out and coming on the podcast to discuss some of these lessons learned with us. My pleasure, Katie. I'm, I'm really happy to be here and, and see what I can do to help folks transition better. A big part of the clearance jobs ecosystem is going to be those that have transitioned out of the military since they hold a security clearance. So let's kind of break it down what you did in the Navy. And so our audience can, you know, can kind of visualize where that is coming from. Yeah, I hope that people find it relevant or germane, but it it is what it is, right? I was a submariner in the Navy. I was commissioned in 1979. I spent over 26 years on active duty, eventually rising as to become commanding officer of the nuclear fast attack submarine USS Indianapolis, then a Commodore of Submarine Squadron 3 in Pearl Harbor. And then my final active duty assignment was in Fleet Anti-Submarine Warfare Command. And so a lot of folks may say, well, how does that relevant to me and my situation. And my response to you is even with all those seemingly relevant and germane skills that I took out of the Navy, I still struggled in industry for avoidable reasons that I later learned many, if not most, transitioning veterans struggle with. Over 15 years in industry, I was a hiring manager for hundreds of transitioning veterans, and I saw the same mistakes being ha happening, taking place over and over and over again, which is what prompted me to, to finally write the book. Sure. Well, and 26 years active duty, that's a long time with any organization. And so you talk about these lessons learned that are avoidable. So let's talk about what made your transition maybe a little more difficult. And what did you hear about others when you were a civilian that made theirs difficult as well? Well, I suffered from several defects, Katie. The first being a failure to understand that when you're transitioning out of the military, the military's primary objective is to make you feel really good about your military service. The people teaching you transition assistance program or skills bridge or anything like that, the folks that are you know leading you through that process have never 
actually succeeded in industry themselves. They're merely reading from a lesson plan, if you will, that somebody else wrote. And the people who wrote that lesson plan likely also never succeeded, hit it out of the park in industry. And what that leads to is a situation where the blind is absolutely leading the blind. And what that does is it misleads you in very profound ways into believing that a lot of your skills that you take out of the military are translatable without modification. And that turns out not to be true. And I only learned that through, you know, failing myself early in my civilian career. So that was problem number one. And problem number two is I was getting advice from the wrong people, from people who had put these words in quotes, merely transitioned themselves rather than people who were highly successful in their transition. And again, I find this happening all over the place where people who are about to transition will talk to a person a year or two out of the military and think that that person has germane and relevant advice that applies to them when often they don't. They haven't even learned themselves whether they're going to fail or succeed in this new civilian career. And they're giving advice to other people who are just beginning the journey. And, and it turns out much of that advice is bad. Well, and I know that that's one thing that you and I have discussed. TAP programs are just doing wrong is having those folks that haven't you know, gone through transitions themselves. And you say, you know, find mentors that have been really successful in their transition. And so to play devil's advocate, People, don't you think, should be talking to multiple people, including those who have had an incredibly unsuccessful transition, just to know what not to do? Oh, I absolutely agree. Please don't misunderstand me. You can learn things from people who failed, but they need to understand as they're giving you these lessons that they have failed. And they need to have internalized the lessons of failure before they can adequately present you lessons to help you succeed. And you can learn from people who've succeeded. But what you shouldn't be learning from are people who don't know yet whether they've failed or succeeded or worse, believe they're succeeding and aren't self-aware enough to know that they're failing. It's that last category of transitioned employees, I think, that are the most dangerous. Well said and couldn't agree more. Let's talk about a few other things that TAP programs are just doing wrong. One being, I mean, I'm obviously with team clearance jobs. They constantly say make a LinkedIn, which is great. It can be a great way to network. But, you know, coming from clearance jobs, we're going to say if you're going to be networking for a job that's going to require a security clearance, you're going to want to vet the people you're talking to and be on a platform like clearance jobs. So that's just my two cents. But what other things would you say that these transition programs just aren't really hitting the nail on the head very well? There's several, and I do outline these in my book, but at the highest level, in their zeal to make you feel good about your service in the military, they'll convey to you what I call the great lie. And it was conveyed to me. I wanted to believe it was true. I actually believed it was true until I figured out it wasn't. And that is all your future employer wants from you is good leadership. And since everyone in the military has some level of leadership experience at one point or another, whether it's, you know, mid-level enlisted through senior officer, we all believe we've developed really good leadership skills, certainly better leadership skills than our never served peers and friends. And so when you hear that all your future leader wants from you is good leadership, you eat that up because 
you believe that that you have that one thing that they all want. But if you give it 20 seconds of thought, Katie, you realize that that's not even true in the military, right? Because if it was, you could take a guy who or gal who served as a B-52 wing commander and put him in command of a submarine and they would do just fine. You actually need to know something about the job before you can succeed. And no amount of good leadership is going to replace the need to know something. That's no less true in industry. So again, the great lie misleads you and beguiles you into believing that you're really ready for that next step, when in fact, you may need some major modification of behaviors before you're ready. And the second thing I would tell you is as it pertains to compensation and in general and cleared job compensation in particular, I had a lot of folks come to me when I was in industry and I was ready to offer them a job who had completely unrealistic expectations as it pertained to compensation. They were led to believe that they were worth a lot more money than they really were. And what I tell my transitioning friends is the company that hopefully going to give you an offer has done a whole bunch of market research, spent a lot of money to determine what a particular skill is worth in a particular location. They know more than you do about that. And the clearance bonus that's applied to that skill in that location as well. And I've seen way too many transitioning military people with clearances unnecessarily burn bridges by having unrealistic expectations about what they were worth. And in fact, I advise people, take the job, swallow your pride, take the job. Once you get hired, then you can understand a little bit more about what the upside of compensation is is going to be about. And I do share some negotiating tips in my book as well. But that's the second big thing that I worry folks get wrong and interfere with their ability to land smack on their feet very quickly after they leave the military. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say it's about setting expectations, whether that is what's in the job description. Is the emphasis really going to be on that leadership or, or is this company looking for someone who's a little more in the in the trenches? Same thing with compensation. You're totally right. It's about setting those expectations and kind of seeing the bigger picture like, OK, am I willing to take maybe $10,000 less than I was expecting just to see my career mobility within a company or within an industry go up? And it is about, you know, swallowing that pride, seeing what the next five to 10 years are going to look like for you post-transition. I see this on Facebook all the time in all the veterans groups I'm a part of. Just chatter about how and when I should retire or make the transition. What kind of advice could you offer there about when folks are kind of evaluating that for themselves and their family? When should they decide to make their own transition? Yeah, I spend the better part of a chapter talking about this in the book because it's a really important decision. When, what I would say is all things being equal. And all things aren't always equal. So let me caveat that immediately. All things being equal, the longer time you have to serve in your industry position, the higher your upside is going to be. When you get hired into a civilian job, that company is, is taking a risk on you. And by the way, the company may have some pretty profound stereotypes about what military people can and cannot bring to a certain position. So you're going to be in some degrees fighting those stereotypes. But All things being equal, the longer you have time to grow in a position, learn the civilian job, the better it is. Now, there's a bunch of caveats as well. It depends on the kind of job. If you're shooting for a policy-related job, 
or strategic leadership kind of job. In some cases, being in the military for a longer period of time makes you more prepared for those jobs. But those are pretty rare, honestly. And so whether it's officers, when I talk to officers, I say, look, industry is not allowed to speak to you in terms of your age, because age is a protected trait, as you know, Katie. But what they can think about as they're deciding whether to hire you or not is how many years will you give them on average? You know, how long will it take you to train, to learn how to perform in the role? When you start performing in the role at the journeyman level, it's several years after that before you will reach their break-even point before they break even on the investment they're placing in you. And if you don't look like you're going to have that many years working for them, where they're going to reach their break-even point on you, then the chance of them hiring you goes down. So it's really important to understand, you know, at what point in your career to transition and, and, you know, whether you really want to make the military career. And by the way, I do recommend that because, you know, It's important that we have highly skilled, highly capable people on active duty, but there's a lot of factors that go into deciding at what point in your life is the right time to make that transition. Yeah. And folks can only, you know, make that decision themselves. What I I love that I'm hearing from you is it's really the onus is on the transitioning service member. One, again, hold those expectations. And the other is learning the language and making the correct assumptions of what your civilian career looks like or what business culture looks like. And so let's talk about some tips kind of operating in the business environment post-transition. And I know you talk a lot about this in your book, but how should folks prepare for job interviews, negotiate compensation, and again, land the position that is really best for them post-military? Well, the first thing is you should know the position description inside out. You should know what they're looking for. And if you're getting to the point of actually interviewing, big thumbs up, big check in the block here, followed advice as it pertains to making sure that you tailored your resume to the position description before you applied for the job. So good job so far. But you need to understand the position description thoroughly. You need to understand the company and what they're looking for. You need to learn as much as you can about their mission, you know, what their successes have been, what their failures have been. A lot of that ends up in the press. So you should research the company just like they're going to be researching you. They're going to be looking at your LinkedIn profile, Facebook page to find out what you're like as a person, not just as a candidate. Then when you prepare for the interview, be ready for both the nuts and bolts questions that have to do with the actual position as well as the intangible questions they always throw at you that are easy to anticipate because they're all over the internet. But way too often, folks, don't anticipate, don't prepare for those. So tell me a little bit about yourself kind of questions, right? And then they crash and burn on those because they're not used to answering in the military those kinds of touchy-feely questions. And again, there's a lot of good resources for answering those kinds of questions. And the last thing I would say is try to understand that the hiring manager may not have as high an impression about transitioning military people's readiness to serve in industry as you might have. In fact, when I first joined my first company, one of my bosses said to me, you know, the only thing I really know about you military people is what I learned from watching Generation Kill. God help me. 
right? That's a stereotype. It's a horrible stereotype, but that's what they think they're going to get when they hire you, some people, the less sophisticated ones. And so you're going to be dealing with those kinds of issues as well. There may be a strong, I don't know if we really want to hire transitioning military person dynamic that's going into the hiring decision here that you may have to fight. And so you need to be on the lookout, kind of have your sensors raised, looking for those clues that this hiring manager may be one of those kinds of people. You know, doing a good social scrub, make sure your online presence, there isn't anything too extreme. I think that's something that everyone could do a a couple of months if you're about to start applying to jobs. Learn how to effectively network with people. And that includes understanding how and when to translate what you did in the military into layman's terms. And I, I think that's a big thing when you're talking with recruiters as well. Recruiters are rarely ever experts in whatever they're recruiting for. So understand how to sort of navigate those conversations with folks who just may not be aware of what you did in the military. And then another thing I think is show your interest when you are going through those interviews by asking if you can talk to a few folks that are on the team you're going to be working on. You know, the, the biggest thing they'll say is no. You know, I think it, it again, shows motivation. It shows that you want to talk to these people. You want to get to know them. Lastly, in terms of compensation, I do have to put in a plug for our the clearance jobs, security clearance compensation report. So it, again, it goes with, you know, doing that research to help you land the right job, you know, for, for you and your livelihood and your family. What do you think throughout your military career, your transition and, you know, working in industry, What do you think it really takes to succeed in industry today, whether that be a personality trait or maybe skill sets that you see are in really high demand? Could you tell us that for our audience? I would say the first thing it requires is a whole bunch of humility. And in fact, I I do counsel general officers, admirals as they're transitioning. You know, this, I think, affects them the most. You're not going to be a general anymore when you get hired by the company. You're a second lieutenant again. And that's something that when I say that, you know, I get a, I'll hear a chuckle from the other end. And I'll say, no, I'm serious. The 24-year-old who's going to be in the, in the desk next to you is going to know more about this company and, and what it takes to succeed here than you will the day you get hired. So you need to understand that your prior experience, while valid and valuable, isn't anywhere near what you're going to need to know in order to succeed. So the second thing is you need to understand that you may have to change modify, adapt some of your behaviors, including your leadership behaviors. And I joke with my active duty friends that leadership is hard, but it's even harder when you're leading people who can actually quit. And if I were to give you my number one reason that prior military folks crash and burn in industry, it's because they take their military leadership techniques and they believe they're directly translatable to their civilian industry job, and their teams start leaving them, right? The teams start abandoning their ship and quitting. And then that leads to that military leader being fired. And I've seen that as I saw that way early in my career. And that's when I coined the, the expression even harder when they, your team can actually quit. So that's the second, I would say, modified attribute that you need to be aware of. And the third is is an ability to learn. I've had people who came out of the defense acquisition side in government who thought that they understood how companies work, what profit and loss was all about, what the difference is between profit and cash. 
A, crashed and burned because they didn't, weren't self-aware enough to understand that they really had no idea how the companies that they might have even been managing from the government side actually run. And so not being able to adapt to the change being on the other side of the fence, whether they're a contracts person or program manager, really caused them to fail and fail hard in industry. And in fact, I I tell folks the longer they were in government acquisition, the harder it is going to be for them to adapt to the civilian side when they have no contractor that they could you know, poke in the chest and blame when things don't go right. Sure. I mean, it's just about being agile and remaining exercised. And I think that goes along with, you know, being adaptable to different situations, which, you know, military members are no stranger to. I think it just looks a little different to civilians. And so kind of thinking about goal setting, I think that's one of the toughest parts for folks that are about to embark on a transition, even just Figuring out, you know, one thing I tell people is you need to define the important questions and just get those questions answered. Is there a certain location you want to be in that your family wants to be in? Is Do you want to go to school and take a break from working? Do you care more about work-life balance and spending time with your family and friends than, you know, money that you're going to get paid? So th- that's usually my tip is you need to figure out what those questions are because no leadership coach, career coach is going to be able to define those for you. And so what sort of tips would you offer folks on how they can properly define goals for, you know, their personal life? Because that's important. We care about that. But also their future careers. Yeah, boy, there's so much in what you just said that we could spend a lot of time unpacking. So let me first talk about the education aspect, because I, I get that a lot. People will say, well, should I go get an MBA? And I'll say, no, probably, (laughs) that's probably a hard no. And here's why, you know, the MBA, the value of MBAs have waxed and waned over years. And right now, unless you're going to be in finance, which almost no military person's qualified to do in industry, or you're going to be in mergers and acquisitions, and it's probably five to 10 years downrange in industry before you're going to be really qualified to do anything there. Not even civilians get MBAs because it's a lot of investment in education that probably won't benefit you. I would make that even broader. When you transition out of the military, out of government, you're going to be years behind your peers. You, those years that you spent in the military government will not have moved you forward as it pertains to your industry career. And if you make your difference even longer by spending another two, three, four years in college, you're going to be doing an entry-level job at age 35 when your peers started age 24. And, you know, those are rough ages, of course. But you get my point. Unless that education is absolutely required to qualify you for the kind of job you want, it's probably not a good investment. Let me clarify that real hard. If you want to do a managerial job and you don't have a bachelor's degree, it is worth getting a bachelor's degree, as long as it's a good bachelor's degree that's going to prepare you for the kind of job you want. But beyond that, going back to school, I hear that all the time, is probably only going to set you back further. That's my opinion, but it's a pretty firmly held opinion after watching people in industry for 17 years now. Now, the other point I think you made is on the where do you want to live kind of thing. Let me say there are three variables when you transition 
those variables are going to be kind of work, compensation, and location. And if you lock yourself down on one of those three, the other two are going to be affected. So if you say to yourself, well, I've moved around so many times, I really need to stay here in Norfolk, Virginia, now that I'm retiring or leaving the military. Okay, you can do that. But let me tell you, the kind of work and the compensation will be substantially limited by the fact that you're restricting yourself to only jobs in Norfolk, Virginia. So I advise people who really want a career and not a job, find the kind of work and the compensation you want and go to where the work is. If you succeed, you'll be there for a long time. So if you're looking for stability, that's the way you get it, not by saying, I want to stay where I am. Yeah, no, that that makes total sense. I mean, all of these questions, it, it really is a dynamic experience. And so just doing that research, I think, is important. And you reminded me of a story. Actually, this was a question that I got recently. Someone who is about to get their MBA, they've worked in finance in the civilian sector. They ask me, hey, Katie, I see that there are a lot of jobs in, in IT and cyber. Should I pivot? And I said, no, you should not pivot now. I mean, the jobs are there, sure, but you just spent all this investment in, in your degree and you have the experience to back it up to get a good job. Why would you pivot careers now and decide, okay, at whatever age, I'm going to be at the bottom of the totem pole again? So it, it really does take that research, whether you're pivoting careers, whether you're making a transition from the military to the civilian sector, or whether you're moving from government contracting to the commercial sector. It really, it takes that research and that curiosity about, you know, do I really care about where I'm going to end up next? Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. These are all really incredible nuggets of information, Bill. So I did want to give a space for, I haven't asked this question in a while, but I'd love to hear your favorite place that you were stationed while you were in the military, because I love traveling and I love hearing these answers, but also give you space if you had any closing thoughts for our listeners. Well, my favorite place was Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. I did all of my operational tours out of there. I spent 11 years there. And I would have retired out of my civilian career in Pearl Harbor if we wouldn't be so far from our kids, right? Our adult children. So that's how I ended up in Florida instead. It's as close as I could get in the continental United States to the Hawaii lifestyle. So hands down, not even a close second. There isn't even a close second. My favorite place to have been stationed. And as far as closing thoughts, let me tell you that your civilian career can be as exciting, rewarding, fulfilling as your military career was. I love being in the Navy. And I wouldn't change a thing about joining the Navy, about staying in as long as I did, and about transitioning when I did. However, if I would have waited any longer, I transitioned at the 26-year point, I didn't realize when I made the decision to jump that if I would have waited any longer and stayed in the military longer than I had, I would have closed a bunch of doors from companies that were willing to invest in me, but only if I committed to spending a certain number of years with them. Once you reach a certain age, and we hate to think about it in these terms, it's true. Once you reach a certain age, companies start declining in their ability and willingness to invest in you because they don't think they're going to get the years out of you. I would like to say that I was smart enough to understand that when I decided to leave at 26 years instead of 30 years, but I wasn't. I kind of stumbled into it. And now I share that 
advice with pretty much everybody else who asks me. Well, it is incredible advice. So everyone listening, you can find Bill's book from CEO to CEO, a practical guide for transitioning from military to industry leadership. We'll be sure to include the link in the show notes. For more information on military news, how to beat the military transition and get a clear job after your military career, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.